Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17. Let's stand together in honor of the word. Let's read it. Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now, there's much here in this passage of Scripture. We'll look at it here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your provision and grace. Lord, we thank you for your provision in this new building. We thank you for every person who gave their time and their energy and uh, abilities to bring this to completion. Lord, we thank you for the giving and the spirit of giving in which it was accomplished. Lord, we we just see your hand of provision providing the, the funds uh, and to make this a reality. And Lord, our desire is to see uh, that building, as with all of our buildings, be used of you uh, for the proclamation of your word. And Lord, that we would be faithful to be good stewards of them. And Lord, we uh, uh, pray this morning for these serious needs that we know are so many uh, that we have going on right now in the life of this body of believers. But you know the needs, you know these serious issues, and Lord, we lift them up to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to strengthen these who are maybe struggling or maybe going through difficult times, that we can support them, that we can come alongside them and and help them. And uh, Lord, that together we might be strong. And Lord, we uh, thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for the truth that it proclaims to us, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to heed the admonition here in this passage of Scripture, that we might be a people that's pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we know the church is much more than just uh, building, it's much more than just brick and mortar, uh, but it is uh, made up of living stones, and it's made up of your people, and uh, it is for your purpose and for your glory. And so, Lord, our desire is for Uh, you to be glorified in everything that's said and done in your church. And, Lord, we we thank you for the privilege that we have of being part of it, uh, part of a church family where we can grow and and mature in you and have that encouragement and have that mutual strength. So, Lord, we pray this morning as we worship that our hearts would be set on you and that uh, you would be pleased. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the last year and a half, we've been going through this incredible book of Hebrews. And for the most part, we have seen what we would call doctrine. We have seen some amazing truths about God, His plan for our salvation, and the realities of the new covenant. And don't ever let anyone convince you that doctrine is not important. There are, as you know, some popular 
movements within the church that have minimized the importance of doctrine. But doctrine is the critical backbone of truth upon which everything else in the Christian life revolves. John MacArthur writes, nothing in Scripture is more important than doctrine. It is foundational to everything else. Biblical doctrine can be defined simply as God's truth. And apart from His truth, we could know nothing about Him or anything about ourselves spiritually or how God looks at us or what He wants us to be or to do. Apart from doctrine, there could be no basis for obedience in faith in God or love in God, and since we would know nothing about Him. So doctrine is absolutely critical. And the vast majority of the New Testament is comprised of doctrine. But the Scripture contains more than just doctrine. It contains more than just information about God and His purposes. It also contains some strong exhortations to live according to those truths. Knowing and believing is one side of the coin, but living and obeying is the other side. And both are essential. In fact, one major problem for churches that emphasize doctrinal teaching is that there's not always a balancing out of exhortation and admonition to actually live the Christian life. Some people get the idea, as long as I have my theology down, it doesn't matter how I actually live. That idea is absolutely foreign to the New Testament. Because everywhere in the New Testament, we find not only doctrine, but commands and exhortations and admonitions to take the truth of Scripture and live it. In fact, let me just say this. Churches like ours that are firmly committed to the systematic exposition of Scripture many times is the truth of the matter. Good expository preaching never stops with just explaining what the text says and what it means. True expository preaching always goes on to identify how it applies to our lives. And so the goal of the expositor must not be merely to supply a running commentary of the text. It must be to exhort and to admonish and to encourage conformity to Scripture in every area of our lives. Well, this last part of the book of Hebrews is focused on exhortation. Our present passage uses verbs like strengthen, make straight, pursue, and see to it. These are all words of exhortation. In fact, the overall theme of this passage can really be summed up by the phrase, see to it. And so I'm calling this what we need to make sure of. This is a message to the church. And there are some things that we as a church need to make certain of. There are some things that we need to do that are 
indispensable. And you know, it's interesting that the author of Hebrews does not really even see this book as a book of doctrine. Although there is much rich doctrine contained in it. In chapter 13, verse 22, he calls it this word of exhortation. This is important for us to understand about the teaching of the New Testament. The thens, therefores, and wherefores of Scripture are transitions from the knowing to the doing. They are transitions from the teaching to the application. So here's the point. Doctrine should always lead us to do something. The truth of God should always make a difference in how we live our lives. It's never enough just to know how we should live. We need to actually live what we know. And that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. As we look at Hebrews 12, 12 to 17, we see that it is divided into three primary exhortations. They are exhortations that deal with perseverance, pursuit, and prevention. So that's going to be our main outline. And as we go through this, we see that this is in the context of the Christian community. The exhortation here is that all Christians have a mutual concern for one another. No Christian should ever live in isolation, but should be a part of a vital fellowship of believers by which he can become strengthened himself and through which he can be used of God to strengthen others. The context is the church. And in that context, there are some very important things that we need to make sure we do. The first one relates to perseverance. Perseverance. Look with me again at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Here in verse 12, the author returns to the race analogy. The first thing that happens to a runner in a race when he starts to get tired is that the arms begin to drop down. Now, those of you who are runners know that the position of the arms is very important. Your arms can actually pull you through the strides, and they are instruments of rhythm and coordination. They are also the first parts of the body to become fatigued. And so you begin to see a runner's hands begin to drop down. Then the knees are the second to go. Now, I think we're very familiar with the problem of feeble knees today. It seems like every other week I'm hearing about someone else who's having knee replacement surgery. So we know the knees are very fragile and they begin to go. This has become a very common thing. It fits with the metaphor that the author of Hebrews is given here. First, the arms begin to droop and then the knees begin to wobble. But if you concentrate on 
the drooping and the wobbling, you're done. The only way you can continue in the race is if you concentrate on the goal. And again, the author of Hebrews is not referring to a literal physical race here, but to a spiritual one. Any time we begin to experience spiritual hands that are weak and spiritual knees that are feeble, our only hope is to look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. O'Brien says usually arms and knees are symbols of strength and activity. But here the hands have become slack and the knees have become weakened. He says, our author employs this physical image to describe the listener's morale. Drooping hands and weak knees depict exhaustion and discouragement, while strengthening them is a sign of determination to press on to the final goal. How do we know this is the meaning here? Well, because the elements of this metaphor come from Isaiah 35. And in that account, the faithful people in Israel had been through a lot. They had been through a series of evil kings, some false prophets in their midst, generally unbelieving, stubborn Israelites. They were living in a time when they had many powerful enemies and seemingly no prospect of ever living in their own land in peace. The context was they were discouraged and despondent and ready to give up. In other words, they were in the very same place as the original hearers of the book of Hebrews. So what did Isaiah do? He reminded them of the coming kingdom when the wilderness and the desert will be glad and they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of their God. That's the verses, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 35. And then he says to them in verses 3 and 4, Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious hearts, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Now, that's what the New American Standard says. But in the King James, it says this, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. That's the same terminology that we find in Hebrews 12. So what's the message of Isaiah 35? The message is, don't give up. A better day is coming. Keep looking ahead to the coming kingdom, and you will find strength and encouragement that you need to keep running the race. That's the message. So we have to assume that this is the same message in Hebrews 12. And here in verse 12, he's picking up on the danger of losing heart and fainting that he mentioned back in verse 3 and verse 5. But notice, this is in the context of the Christian community. We're not told in Hebrews 12.12 to strengthen our own hands and our own knees. No, it says that we're to strengthen those who have 
weak hands and feeble knees. This is talking about helping others in the body of Christ. You know, we might be running just fine, but others around us are beginning to falter. So what do we need to do? We need to help strengthen those who are becoming weak and discouraged. This is all about body dynamics here. This is about coming alongside one another and helping the other runners to run a good race. Do you remember what he said back in chapter 10, verse 25? He said we need to be encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day of his coming drawing near. Verse 37 of chapter 10, he said, For yet in a little while he who is coming will come and not delay. This is what we need to be focused on. His coming, the kingdom that's coming. This is the very same message that we see in Isaiah 35. As Peter O'Brien puts it, the assurance of divine intervention provides the ground for abandoning fear and despair and persevering in the race. It helps to keep us going. So the symbol of strengthening arms and knees is a figure of taking heart in and hoping in the Lord. And this is an important message for any who are growing weary or discouraged in the Christian life. In verse 13, the author of Hebrews quotes from Proverbs 4:26. Listen to the broader context of Proverbs 4 verses 25 through 27. He says this, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. That sounds like Hebrews 12:2, doesn't it? Then he says in verse 26, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the... I, I said right and I went left. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Listen, in biblical wisdom literature, the concept of choosing the right path was a common way of describing living the right way. Living your life the right way. It is living according to the wisdom of God as revealed in His Word. In the race metaphor, this might be the idea of staying in your lane so you won't become disqualified. Or it might even be the idea of staying on the racetrack and not wandering off into the wilderness somewhere. In other words, stay engaged in the running and stay on the track, even in your own lane, and keep your eyes fixed. On the finish line. And by the way, the phrase, make straight paths for your feet, in Hebrews 12, 13, carries the idea of great responsibility. The word for paths there refers to tracks that were left by wheels of a cart or a chariot, which later travelers would follow. So this implies that the track we leave while we're running our race will be followed by those who are coming along behind us. And the tracks that we leave will either lead or mislead them. So we must make sure that the tracks we leave are straight 
that they are according to God's wisdom. But notice why he says we're to make straight paths for our feet. So that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, who does this apply to? The word lame could refer to weak, limping Christians who are easily tripped up or misled. Jay Adams points out that if you get off the track and you wander off in, onto uneven ground, it's easy to trip up and fall or to sprain your ankle and become lame. Obviously, if that happens, you're not going to win the race, right? The Greek word orthos in verse 13 not only can mean straight, but it also can mean even. That's why you want to stay on the track because it's a nice level surface upon which you can run well and not twist your ankle. Guthrie says the lame is another image of exhaustion or the crippling effect of spiritual discouragement. He says running a race on an uneven path full of bumps and potholes is not only inconvenient but also dangerous especially for a person who is not in good condition to begin with. In other words, if the hearers chose the wrong path, their spiritual condition could become worse. So it's possible that this is referring to weak Christians who get distracted and perhaps compromise morally, but those who wander spiritually from God's path. And those who become lame may include weaker brothers, like Paul talked about in Romans 14, who are among the first ones that are often hurt by a bad example. This is why mature believers are admonished not to put in front of their weaker brother any kind of stumbling block. Same kind of terminology. You don't want to have anything they can trip over and become lame. So that's a possible meaning. But there's another possible meaning for the last phrase of verse 13, and I have become convinced this is its primary meaning. I agree with John MacArthur and a couple of other commentators that this refers primarily to those who are connected in some way with the church but are not truly born again. In other words, these are those who are in danger of apostatizing and particularly are vulnerable to stumbling and turning away from the faith. They are prime candidates for Satan to trip them up and maim them. Now, if this is the case, then their need is to be healed and then the word for healed would be used the same way it's used in Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds you are healed. That refers to spiritual conversion. It refers to salvation. Now, one of the main reasons for taking this position is the way the Septuagint uses the word lame in reference to 1 Kings 18.21. In 1 Kings 18, we have the account of Elijah 
facing the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And in that account, some of the people were on the side of Baal, and some were on the side of Elijah, but most of the people were just somewhat undecided. And so Elijah says to them in 1 Kings 18.21, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And the only response he got was silence. But the interesting thing is, the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, uses the Greek word kolos, which Elijah uses to mean hesitate, while the author of Hebrews uses the same word to mean lame. MacArthur says, Elijah was confronting lame, vacillating Israelites and trying to persuade them to take a side. The writer of Hebrews was warning believers about the danger of misleading lame, uncommitted unbelievers and of causing them to apostatize back into Judaism. Of course, the presence of persecution was adding to their temptation to turn away from the faith. But what the author of Hebrews is warning of here is the fact that inconsistent Christians leaving wandering paths would not help to bring these unbelievers to full faith in Christ. The sad truth of the matter is that many times the greatest stumbling block to unbelievers that often prevents them from coming to full faith in Christ is the inconsistent, compromising lifestyle of those who claim to know Him. A poor testimony can hinder unbelievers from full commitment to the gospel. And it can lead to limping unbelievers. It can lead them to become put out of joints or becoming spiritually dislocated. They can even become permanently disabled by this. O'Brien says the key verb used here, ectrepomai, which is translated into the English as to put out of joint, likely means to turn aside. So this is referring to listeners being careful lest any weak members of the community are turned aside from the way of truth and turn into apostasy. This word can mean to turn aside or to turn astray. So from a spiritual sense, it can have the meaning of, uh, that is given by the NIV to become disabled. Guthrie says, in the ancient world, the word was used in, a te- in technical medical context to refer to dislocation. He says, thus the readers are called on to follow the Lord's level path of holiness so that their current spiritual condition will result in healing rather than in a more serious spiritual condition. You don't want to harm them spiritually. You want to help them. You want to help them come to that place of full healing. What does God want? God wants them to be healed. He wants them to be saved. And the Bible tells us that it is not God's will that any should perish. 
Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now listen, if this is the proper understanding of this verse, which I believe it is, then that makes this a very serious exhortation. And of course, God can save someone through any means He chooses, but He chooses to use our witness to bring them to Christ. Jesus warned in Matthew five thirteen through 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. We need to make sure that our testimony for Christ is still salty. That it is a clear light to lead people to Christ. We need to make sure that people can see our good deeds. And that is used by God to bring them to salvation rather than putting a stumbling block before them. The Apostle Peter gives a practical illustration of this in the context of marriage. In 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, he says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, in other words, they're unbelievers, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Christian wife, if you have an unbelieving husband, the Bible declares that the way you live before him can make a big difference in whether or not he becomes a Christian. So what's the point here in Hebrews 12:13? It is that we make sure we're running the race well. So we won't become a hindrance to those who have not yet made a full commitment to Christ. Well, we're out of time. I had more. I have more here. I want to give. We'll have to save it till next time. And uh, you know me. Just cut it off wherever we need to. And we'll come back to it. We'll do that next time. What about you this morning? Are you persevering in the race? How are you holding up? Are your arms beginning to droop? Knees getting a little wobbly. Are you becoming a little bit unsure on the path? Make sure you don't get off the path and wander away. Make sure you stay on the track. Make sure you stay in the way of God's wisdom. What about our responsibility to others in the body? Do we, as we look around, do we see some that are becoming weak and discouraged and despondent? We need to come alongside them. We need to support them. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them and do what it takes. That's the admonition. That's the exhortation here. It's all about body life. How are we doing with that? Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you would help us to take your word and not just be hearers of it, but to be doers of it as well. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to 
fulfill this admonition. And Lord, that we might uh, not only ourselves make sure that we're running well and that we're staying on the track, but Lord, help us to come alongside others and strengthen others. And Lord, uh, that we would be a body that that encourages each other. And, and Lord, people various various times go through different trials and different adversities. And those of us who are strong, those of us who are running well, we need to come alongside them and help them. And so, Lord, help us put a burden on our hearts as we look around and we see some weak hands, we see some feeble knees that will um, help to strengthen these who are weak. Lord, help us not to ever put a stumbling block in any intentional way in front of someone, hanging on to our liberty in some way, but we don't want to turn that into a license for sin. And we don't want to hurt someone else. So, Lord, help us to have your wisdom in that as well. And, Lord, help us to follow these principles. And, uh, Lord, we pray now that we'll respond to your word the way you'd want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.